Today we have Brent Ritchie on the show. Are you a Canadian real estate investor that wants to invest in the U.S.? Brent Ritchie is a Canadian real estate investor that went looking and found a way to build wealth here in U.S. multifamily. He's invested in over 2,600 units, and it all started with him deciding to come to the U.S. for a weekend real estate conference. He has an engineering background and is extremely team-focused. Brent believes proximity is power. And he also believes in transparency and communication with his investors, his partners, and other team members. You can learn more about how Brent built his portfolio by listening to this episode. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn, and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Brent Ritchie before we start the show. Brent grew up and lived in Canada until just recently when he moved his family to Florida. He wanted to invest in U.S. real estate, but he didn't know how to do it. He came to a weekend conference in the U.S., and that kicked off his journey to building wealth in U.S. multifamily. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest here with us today. We've got Brent Ritchie. Brent, appreciate you coming on the show. Super uh, pumped for having us, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Brent. Brent and I are both part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group, uh, the Brad Sumrock Group. You know, we met a number of years ago, and I've just seen him skyrocket. He's been in part of a ton of deals I'm very interested to hear his take on things. And um, so with that, first question, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Yeah, thanks, Darren. Um, again, just very, very excited for this opportunity to be on the show. Uh, I've had the fortune of working with many, many uh, wonderful people. And uh, that's really a lot of the, I guess, the background, the success that we'll get into, the units, is that teamwork and that uh, just just working with some some great people. So um, I have uh, kind of owned, operated, managed over 2,600 units. And uh, so currently under management actually is, is 1,561, so uh, 1,561 units. Uh, and that is kind of all across Southeast, um, Arizona and Texas. Fantastic. So you are the first person that I've had on the show that is from Canada. Woo! Go Canada. That's my go Canada. Land. Go Canada. Yeah. So hey, you you're from Canada. You come down. You join a a group uh, based out of Dallas, Texas, and then you start partnering with people and investing with people all all across the country. Um, talk a little bit about you know one mindset like why'd you choose to come to the u.s instead of investing in canada 
Um, and then two, kind of what, what was the value that you brought to the table? Because you've partnered with a lot of different people. No, that's a, that's a great, great question. I mean, uh, mindset, Darren, I think you nailed it head on. You know, that is so much either the limiting beliefs that we have within ourselves, or that we tell ourselves, can we do it? I, can I not do it? You know, so many people, myself included, you know, you've had a couple different businesses along the way and uh, you're continually, it's like that little purple book, right? That has probably tainted a lot of us, that Rich Dad, Poor Dad book that has kind of planted <laughs> this seed in your mind of a very different life rather than the corporate America, the corporate grind. And so always, I don't know, I've always been entrepreneurial and kind of had that um, passion, desire within me. Um, and so it was there and it's always like, okay, I don't want to just be working for somebody else. And, and so how do I, you know, how do I get to that point? And, um, I did engineering background and, and we can get into that a little bit more, but really you nailed it, that mindset, you know, and, and kind of you figure out your why and it's so cliche and you hear it all the time, but you figure out your why and then really your how, your what, um, those are very important tools, uh, but you're just going to, you're going to figure it away. Right. And so we, we get into that, that grind and that, uh, you know, I was working still full time at a, doing engineering and then into kind of industrial engineering sales. And after that, it was just like, okay, I don't want to do this. You know, this is not for me. This is not the life that I want to go down. And you're just kind of you're at the whim of some employer and, and, uh, really. Was, the, was that a one moment thing? Do you remember like one moment when you were like, we're working at, in W2 and you're like, that's it. That's it, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to figure out a way to, no, or, I mean, or was I, it kind of a process? I think that little purple book, it was probably when I was like 19 or 20. Um, and so early in my career when I read that book, and so it, it constantly, uh, nagged in my mind of having some, something else. And so I've always had side hustles, side businesses, and, uh, you're just trying to figure out a path. Hey, how do I get out of this corporate world? How do I stop trading time for money? You know, and how do I experience in a life, a life different? Um, and so I would say that maybe was a pivotal moment back a long time ago. And then really it sure. was almost just, you know, a continual process of course, but Hey, how do I find a vehicle that really allows the lifestyle and, and to suit that. Uh, so you're, so you're in Canada, you're working, you know that you want something different. What's the next action step that you took to kind of propel you forward? Yeah. You know, it, it was probably, um, <laughs> um, it was probably uh, a business that I had before and it just wasn't, it was a side hustle business uh, and it wasn't kind of having the results and, and having the yield that, that I really wanted it to. And so really what it was is, okay, I want to do something in the real estate field. You know, I know that's a, a sector that is a lot of people, I think, what is it? Like 90% of people have made their wealth in real estate or, or it's a high, high percentage 90% of millionaires have made, you know, their money in real estate. So always kind of that on my mind. And, uh, and then really it was, um, listening to real estate radio guys, you know, hearing their podcasts, connecting with, um, hear Brad Sumrock on it. He was just talking a bunch of just different paradigms that shattered for me. Uh, it's easier to own 60 plus units rather than lower. 
and you don't need to start in single family to go to multifamily and just really kind of hearing about that and really resonated, connected. He was an engineer. I was an engineer. And then really flying down to uh, July 2017 uh, to an event and to really look into this more. Is this the right fit? Are these people real? Is it just a bunch of uh, hoopla? And and right. so uh, meeting lots of wonderful people. And, and I know we connected uh, quite a few years back as well. But you know, you're just seeing success, 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 so many success stories. Uh, and it was almost like you can have your cake and you eat it too. You know, you're, you're able to have a system that you can own that you're not actively involved in the day to day of and somebody else is operating it. And so it was, it was just, yeah, from there was like, okay, it's worth me learning what I have to do as a Canadian to come into the U S to invest and go through this process. It's worth me flying from Toronto back and forth um, just to go through this. And so it really, I guess, showed the possibilities and the options and the opportunities and very, very grateful for that. So. Well, I, I applaud you. Um, a number of things that you said there is one is that, you know, you took a chance, like you invested your own money and your own time to you know, fly to Dallas and go to an event. And yeah, there, I'm sure that you even mentioned it. There was some skepticism, you know, is this real? You know, uh, are these people for real? Are people really making money? Um, but you're like, I'm going to go find out myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people that will just, you know, listen to the re- real estate radio guys or, or another podcast and then they don't take that step to get on the plane and go out and make and find out for themselves. Yeah. And I had a similar experience where I was looking for a way to, to go bigger. And I went to a meetup group and met some people from the Sumrock group. And I joined the Sumrock group without going to one of his events. Um, but the next step I did was I started doing a bunch of Starbucks meetings with syndicators, you know, find out, is this real? Right. And, you know, people were like, I couldn't believe how open people were, you know, Hey, my net worth was 500,000. Now it's 5 million. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and then another person and then another person and another person. I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. You know, I think that's part of it is when you, you talked about all the success stories that you saw there, you know, when you surround yourself with all these people that have done it, you know, you, you end up saying, look, they're smart people, but I'm smart too. And I can figure this out if they can. Right. Um, so I applaud you for going and doing that. So, but you had an additional, you know, complexity, you're in a different country. So, you know, how did that change things up? So you come down you decide, yeah, this is real. You know, I'm going to do this. You know, what additional complexity did it bring um, being a part of, you know, living in Canada. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I think part of it was, um, maybe I'm a podcast junkie. And so it was just, <laughs> you're constantly learning and listening to people and you're, you're listening to another one. Another one was a lady from, from another country as well. And she was investing and she was saying, you know, typically there's, there's maybe two or three more additional forms that's required in order to really get into, when you're investing in another country and wherever you are, 
right? That could be you're investing in the islands or in Central or South America or overseas. So there's typically other two, three forms and entities. And so you're almost like in, you can make, and I can make such a big, like, okay, it gets complicated and you get into the details and the weeds of it. And it's like, okay, really, once you break it down and you find your strategic key people that know the route, the steps, right? There's something like in your Sunbelt states, in your Florida, your, your Arizona, there's like apparently 30% of the, the real estate is owned by Canadians. Uh, so there's a high, is it really, it's a large amount. So, so that's where it was like, okay, there's a lot of Canadians that are already doing this. So it's not a, not a foreign concept. So really it's just finding, okay, who knows who is knowledgeable, capable, uh, that I can connect with. And so that, that process, it did take time. It costs a lot of money. You're consulting, you know, different experts and you as a business owner, you're trying to figure out your tax implications, your asset protection. Hey, how do I uh, do things that are kind of in compliance with various bodies? And so you can really, um, simplistically, uh, there's, you know, there's usually an entity that you invest through. And then there's a couple forms that you fill out that you have your professionals that know. Once you're able to kind of distill that, it simplifies. And then, um, yeah, the journey was not simple and figuring out how to do that was not simple. Sure. Um, and, and again, kind of what we'd mentioned was, was expensive, but once you figured out that path, then really it's like, okay, it, it's actually not too, not too bad. There's a couple extra steps and then, then it's a, a great, great process. And again, worth it, you know? Very, very cool. So yeah, I have not had any uh, foreign investors in any of the deals that I've worked on. Um, but I have talked to attorneys about it and, and from what they've indicated to me and you can, uh, validate it if, if you can, um, is that look, it, it, it's as simple as somebody in Canada or another country forming an LLC in the U S funding that LLC and that LLC, that U S LLC is then the investor in the deal. Is that the structure on how things work or is it different? Yeah, I think if you're, and this will get into kind of a tax professional uh, thing. And so I should make the the statement, I'm not a tax professional. Uh, but what I've understood, uh, an LLC may be taxed as a C corporation can work. Um, or more commonly, an entity that is used is a limited partnership. So a U.S. limited partnership that Canadians invest into the limited partner, and then from that limited partner, invest into the entity. Um, there's a bit more involved with that, but that is that is one of the most common entities that uh, people use if they're investing individually. Very cool. So another thing is, I've, again, I've seen you partner on some some monster deals too, um, and with a lot of different partners. And so one thing that comes to my mind is. All right, so there's different value that different general partners can bring together in a team. And when I think of Brent Ritchie, I'm like, all right, well, he's the, he's the Canadian. So he's got a completely different network of people potentially that want to invest. Um, and that's very attractive. So, hey, if, if, if you have a big network in Canada and those Canadians, they don't know how to do it, but you, you know, are the kind of the, the point person to help them get involved in deals. Well, that's a great partner then 
to, to partner on a bunch of deals. So is that the value that you've brought to a lot of these deals? Or did I just kind of think that out loud and it's not really the, <laughs> the, the uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely, definitely that's uh that's one of the aspects. Um, I guess, you know, probably my engineering background and did a lot of heavy construction. So I did uh, civil structural engineering and this is the bridge kind of behind you, behind me, you see too. Um, so I did, um, a lot of, a lot of large infrastructure projects kind of on the small range would be a hundred million dollars and then, you know, kind of going up, uh, quite a bit larger. Um, so really a lot of that project management, construction engineering background skills, um, bring a lot of kind of value in sourcing, underwriting, evaluating, you know, and even, uh, the teamwork and putting together teams, um, for, for projects. Um, so that, that would be one of the major aspects and benefits, um, there are nuances for sure in the Canadian securities associations are different and different kind of uh, requirements than the U.S. Uh, immigration or the U.S. securities and, and uh, the SEC. So there are nuances with that. Um, if you're doing accredited investors, that process is actually a lot more stringent for Canadian investors. Uh, what I understand, it's a million liquid or five million net worth um, or the 200 or 300. Uh, similar to the US. And so 200, 300, right? Those ones are maybe a bit easier of a barrier um, where the million liquid or 5 million net worth kind of cuts out quite a few more more investors. And then the other exception is your close friends and family and business associates. Um, and so it just limits your your kind of pool of investors that you're able to bring in a little bit more. And I'll be doing a session with uh, Canadian securities personnel and securities lawyer as long as... Uh, and our uh, CPA that does cross-border, Canada-US. So that's something a session that we'll be doing up soon. And I guess if people are interested, uh, we could, you know. Very cool. Will you will you put that up on your uh, website? So if, if we include your website. Um, you know what, I, I will. Uh, <laughs> I got to add a section to my website where I can add, you know, blog spots or notes the, or something like that. Um, there you go. Don't yeah, have that right now. Um, but I can, we well, at some time in the future, maybe, maybe it'll be up there listeners and maybe it won't. So yes. we'll, we'll see. Yes. Um, for, very cool. So, you know, talk about, um, you know, from, from a listener's perspective, you know, you and I were, I think we're both sold that it makes sense to go bigger, like 60 units, hundred units, 200 units. Um, but mindset gets in the way and, and, you know, beginning listeners um, that are just trying to break in the space. Some some people have told me, you know, in sidebar conversations, look, I'm, I think I'm too young. I think I'm too old. I don't think I have enough money. I, you know, I don't have the n- enough experience. You know, all these things that can limit them from partnering with people that do have the experience and do have the money and do have the relationships. Um, so talk a little bit about like, Look, when you first flew down, you didn't have the experience, right? But you networked with people, you built relationships, and then you started to get asked to be part of certain deals. And then you must have performed because then other people go and tell people, yeah, Brent's a good guy, man. He did what he said he was going to do. And, you know, and then you get asked to the party on the next one, you know. So talk a little bit about that for the listener's benefit. Yeah, and it's almost like that proximity is power. You know, we probably heard that adage as well, that proximity is power. 
So where are the networks? Where are the groups? Where are the people that are actually getting a lot done, right? There's, I think there's probably a fair amount of snake oil in, in certain real estate spaces. And, but in certain groups, Hey, these are the ones that are buying a tremendous amount of volume. And so these are the ones the Darren's right, the brands, the other, the other sponsors that are going out and doing it and, uh, and not just kind of excited about the whole thing, but actually, uh, getting it done. And so the, yeah, that summer ecosystem that we're part of, um, very much is a massive, uh, force to be reckoned with and follow, you know, just has a tremendous amount of people. So it was worth for me, you know, while still working at my full-time job, you know, you get off on weekends, you'd fly on a Friday evening, you get back Sunday and then you'd be at work, you know, Monday morning. Um, but it was worth flying down just to be in this group. And, and like you said, Darren, it's like, I didn't come from background of, of real estate. You know, I, I did construction, uh, which is more on the infrastructure side, but I, I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't, besides my single family home that I owned, um, I didn't have any other, uh, any other real estate experience. And so, um, specifically on the ownership side. And so that's where it was going from zero. You know, my first property I bought was 120 unit, uh, multifamily property. 120, 120 units, the first property. Yeah. So zero, zero to 120, um, in Glendale, which is kind of like the Phoenix MSA. Um, and you know how well the, the Phoenix market has done. And so we bought that kind of got it under contract. Ha ha ha. Oh my gosh. You know, I think everyone's regret is we didn't just buy a ton more back then. Everything. <laughs> Everything yeah. that we could see. So, you know, it was really that 2018 pricing at 97 a door. And, and you know, now, I don't, I don't know, around 200 a door is, is where it's shaken out. So some very, very happy, happy investors. In the meantime, we've been doing, you know, 12% annualized distributions. But yeah, you kind of go from that, hey, zero, right? I'm, I'm a, you know, professional in whatever other space, right? And being in an environment where, okay, if you're not, maybe your net worth's not as high, or maybe you're thinking you're too young or too old or whatever kind of excuses or my backgrounds, you know, whatever it is, it's like, you just put yourself in those quality systems in those quality places, right? Be part of that environment. And uh, I think Warren Buffett, what was one of his expressions? Like if he had to, you know, say he had nothing and he had to start all over again, you know, he would just go to an area, you know, a really, really wealthy restaurant in that local area and, and just buy soup, right? The only thing he could afford was like soup and he'd just eat it really, really slowly. And so you're listening to everyone else around you, right? You're in that environment, you're in that setting. And so, no matter what your background is, really, I think you just got to get around the right people. And maybe that's not in your city. Maybe that's you having to, maybe it's not even in your country, you know? So it's, um, I think the limiting beliefs are what exist in our own mind. Uh, But really, um, you know, we are very, very, very capable people. And so, you know, and just be a person of integrity, right? Do what you say, say what you do. And and then, you know, that's going to pay off over time. And so, uh, and, and that's where I guess we've had the fortune and, and, and the um, success of, of partnering with, you know, people again and again. And then, you know, now you get the opportunity to um, you're growing your nest egg and you're growing your 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 
investors that trust you and you're, you're growing all those things, right? Which take time and it takes a lot of grind. Uh, but then you get to that point and you, you know, and, and you're just, you know, continually be a person of integrity, I guess is. Yeah, that's huge. And the other thing is like, look, if you, if you feel like you just, uh, have, you don't have a ton of value, like you can take a smaller piece of the deal in the beginning, right? To get the experience. And there are, there are some people out there that are going to say no, you know, but that's life, man. That's like every business that you're in. If you're ever, ever been in sales, how many times you get told no, right? So you're going to have partners that you talk to and they don't want to partner with you, but you keep at it. And then all of a sudden you find somebody that's like, yeah, you know what, you know, I'll, I'll partner with you, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you get your first deal and then the next deal you get a bigger piece, mm-hmm. you know, because you have the experience. So, um, you know, I think that it's available to everybody, but it's not going to be handed to you. You know, um, all these people that come on brand, other, other syndicators, like it wasn't handed to them. Like there was, you know, there was grind. There was, you know, a, a lot of no's before that. There was, you know, trying this, trying that. And, and you know, until they got his first deal. And then he went from zero to 120 units, you know. And then he's been off to the races. And, you know, in total, he's done 2,600 units. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Hey, so what markets are you focused on in the U.S.? Yeah, you know, for a long time, uh, focused in um, Florida. Um, and then... Arizona, you know, which we ultimately bought in. Um, and then Texas, I would say was the, the other major market. Um, okay. so right now, I mean, Florida is just a crazy hot market, right? Anybody that's in the market right now just knows how, how, you know, you're underwriting a deal maybe in Texas and you're going to look in at your, you know, your five-year growth. Maybe you're in that 30, 30% range, um, over five years. Where in Florida, that same kind of projection, which means you're underwriting how aggressive you need to be is more in that 45, 50, 55 range. Um, and so it's a, a significantly hotter market. And so we're developing in, in Central Florida, um, doing a Class A development, and, uh, and which is a lot of fun, and, and I love that, uh, that aspect of things. Um, so I love Florida. I love living here. We just moved down here from Canada uh, about two weeks ago. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, I mean, like... Just a few weeks ago, right? Just a few weeks ago, yeah. So two weeks uh, Monday. So um, that, it, fresh, fresh. I wouldn't say uh, fresh off the plane. Uh, so, so, so why why did you move to to Florida from Canada? Uh, <laughs> that is a that is a bigger question, but uh, we can get into a little bit. Um, you know, so really. Taxes is a big reason. Um, so CRA, IRS, hopefully you guys aren't listening to this, um, but taxes are a big reason. And uh, you want to, you know, just look at that chart over time of, hey, if I'm growing my net worth, right, I'm growing my income, looking at, you know, getting taxed consistently, maybe it's 40%, you know, 50%. If, if you're an employee, uh, tax rate in Ontario uh, is like 54% on the top range. Yikes. And, uh, and so it's, it's really, uh, it's a huge burden. Uh, so that was definitely a large path. Um, and it's, uh, this real estate space, real estate game, like, you know, is very much relationship business. It's a relationship game. And so being able to be there in the market, networking with people, you know, kind of interacting with 
uh, your peers, your your real estate, um, you know, your agents and brokers and and all your parties is very important. And just having those relationships, that rapport. Um, and so that was that was a huge aspect, just the ability for business. Um, and right now, uh, things in Canada are going a little crazy. Uh, so it's more <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuel in the fire that was, uh, you know, as they kind of gear up for another lockdown, uh, that it was very, oh, man. just, uh, yeah, this last, I don't know, Florida talks about lockdown is in like a couple of weeks and I don't know, yeah. if we, I don't think we've ever actually got out of the lockdown officially yet. So, yeah, that's crazy. So, uh, the wife and the kids are excited as well. You know, it was a journey. <laughs> it was a journey getting them uh, to that place. And, and there was a lot, right? So you got family, friends, you know, everything. So you're almost leaving all your support network, support ecosystem, and then bringing them here. And so, you know, hey, uh, God is good. And, and we came with another good friends of ours from British Columbia who are who are leaving for very similar reasons uh, down to this area. So in the, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, and, uh, you know, um, sunshine, palm trees and beaches also, also help. Um, but yeah, mainly kind of taxes and, and freedom would be the, uh, the two major driving forces. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I like that saying God is good. I agree. Um, so talk about just, you know, why multifamily, like why, why, you know, I was, I'm 51. I was brought up more in the get good grades, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder, put, you know, 10, 20% in this, in 401k and let it, it's going to grow into this big nest egg. And, um, you know, and now all of a sudden being exposed to this asset class has changed the mindset so dramatically. And, and you talk about that, you know, that purple book, you know, that kind of started things for you back in 19, you know, when you were 19 or 20, rich dad, poor dad. But, um, you know, when you start doing it, you start seeing the real benefits of it. Mm -hmm. And um, so talk a little bit about, you know, why, why multifamily investing instead of just putting your money in the stock market? Yeah, you know, it's um, I, like like you guys, you know, invested in the market, invested in your mutual funds and lackluster performance. And I don't know if I've averaged my returns over the last 10 years um, of doing that, but I'm sure they're they're not great. And, you know, sometimes they're up and down and, and uh, it really it's I don't know if I'd be hitting six, seven percent, right, that you're on. And then that's that you're tax deferred and then you're going to get taxed on. And so, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things early on that I've seen that, Hey, compound effect, right? The, the, what is the eighth wonder of the, the world is compound. Um, and so you see that over time, how that impacts things, but they'd usually show an example at like 10%. And if you're used to, if I'm, you know, used to just your work, your corporate world job, and so you're investing through, you know, your, your advisor, um, your, your returns, you know, were really, really just dismal. Uh, and then you kind of enter this multifamily space, uh, especially the last couple of years where people have been crushing it. And so, so you go from, you know, Hey, 7% was a good return to you enter this multifamily world and you're like, Oh my goodness. Anyone that got 7% is just like something got, went really wrong. Um, and so you see, you yeah, have fantastic returns, obviously the, the depreciation 
cost mitigation strategies, right? So now on your gains, you're able to utilize and, and leverage um, a lot of your your kind of tax advantages to bring down your taxable income even further. Uh, so those those are great aspects. And then, you know, some other uh, Michael Becker, he's talked about um, with with SFI or SPI. Um, he's talked about when you're you're, uh, you know, on any stock. Right. I, I don't know the CEO of Apple. Right. And there's no correspondence I can have with the CEO of Apple. Um, and ask, hey, my returns, you know, dip down, what's going on, or hey, the, the market's performing. And so where this is very much, very personal, right? It's very personal. You are a physical owner of that part of real estate, and you know the sponsors, right? You're going to be able to have conversations and, and relations with them, um, and you can ask questions. And so really, you know, this private equities world uh, is really, um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's done phenomenal. And the adage of people having to live under a bridge is, is a pretty good motivator uh, for them to pay rent. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, we've, it's been the darling of real estate last couple of years. I know when COVID hit, it was that fear, hey, what's going to happen, right? Are people going to be able to pay rent? You know, what's, what's going right, to go down? Um, but yeah, really that, um, that desire, that ability to, uh, there's just a fundamental need of, to have a place to live. I don't, I don't see that going away anywhere. Yeah. So I think, you know, you talked about, uh, mutual funds and, you know, stocks and whatnot. Well, you know, when I look at my experience with, and I, and I'm going to caveat this with what you said. I mean, it, it has been a super, super hot market. So I don't, you know, I've only been in it for the last four years. I don't know what a normal market, it, the returns are on something like this. Um, but you know, where I see the big advantages are, you know, leverage and tax efficiency. Um, you know, if you were to go buy $100,000 worth of Amazon stock, you know, it has to double in price, you know, for you to double your money. But that's not the case in these real estate transactions because the, you know, say you're buying a $10 million property, you know, Seven million or or more could be debt, and then you know three million plus you know rehab money is going to be the equity portion. So you don't have to go from ten million to twenty million to double the equity. You could go from ten million to fourteen million and potentially double investors' money. And that you know I think that people don't fully understand that until they get involved with something like this. Um, secondly, you, you did mention the tax benefits, but you know, if you're, if you're receiving dividends or you sell stock, you're paying tax on that. And here, when you're getting distributions, you know, you have depreciation that is covering those distributions. So you're paying no tax while you hold the asset. Now, when you sell the asset for a gain, you're going to have a taxable event. Um, but those are two major components, I believe, um, in, in the return structure being so significantly better. Um, and, you know, I understand why the government does it, you know, this whole accredited and sophisticated and, but it, you know, they're trying to protect, you know, people from having their money being scammed, right? And only having people that have money um, 
and know what they're doing, get involved in these transactions. But I also think it's kind of a bummer that it's kind of like it's only available to people that have money, you know? And, and so, you know, the people that have money can get, you know, wealthier and, uh, but you know, it, it is afford much more affordable than you think. I mean, when you look at these apartment complexes, 20, 30, 50 million, you think there's no way I can get involved in that, but you can invest 50,000 or a hundred thousand into one of those deals. You know, it's just a, syndication is just a collection of people coming together to buy an asset that they couldn't do on their own. So that's huge. So what do you do to continue to learn and get uncomfortable? No, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) Always in that state of surrounding yourself with people that are more successful than you in the area where you want to grow. Right. And so um, when I, join this this whole kind of system this you know i spent more on this kind of program than i did in four years of university uh doing my (laughs) so but then was it a little bit a little bit of selling to the wife to do that ah yes you can imagine she's like you want to do what (laughs) so right now now she's like thank god you did that yes yes exactly so many times along the way it has been that push that stretch and so um you know that that was a big stretch of course uh and then you know (laughs) when you invest that much you're doing it come hell or high water right you're gonna make this work uh and then the same thing with uh joined a mastermind um and, and it was the same thing right you're investing so much but you're surrounding yourself, you're putting yourself again in that environment, that ecosystem, that kind of smaller, smaller uh, group of people um, that are really kind of just growing and, and, and you know, uh, yeah, learning. And so I think it's we every, you know, you have the mindset, you have your skill set, um, everything at a certain level where you're at. And then to really grow to that next level, grow uh, beyond, you know, grow to maybe where I'd like to be, right? It's like, who do I need to become, right? What skills do I need to learn? What mindset do I need to shift and change to get get there? Um, and I don't think that ever really stops, right? And I think the moment we stop or we get lazy or we get apathetic, then then we can easily start to, to just go downhill or go sideways. And, and so it's like that, that... Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you, you know, build and, and, and scale systems. And, you know, now it's just kind of like new challenges and new problems and okay, now I'm hiring people and, you know, managing them and, and, you know, how, how is that all working? And okay, I need to learn and grow and have the skill sets for those, those uh, new opportunities that, uh, you know, kind of I've stepped into as well. So. It's interesting. You know, I think that there's a, a thought process like one, should I hire a mentor or should I do it on my own? And then when you hire, you know, somebody that hires a mentor, it's like, okay, well, once I get my first deal, then I'll be off and running and I won't need to, you know, learn all these things that I already know. But then this is what I've learned from interviewing so many successful people is that it doesn't matter like where you are. There's always somebody that's, you know, doesn't is lower than you and somebody that's higher than you. And these successful people that I've interviewed, they, it's like one after the other after the other. Once they get to one level, they're searching for the next level. And 
you know, how do I get there? And they're learning from, it could be learning from a completely different group. Like I've met so many people. I love that you said that you joined a mastermind. Like, you know, there's so many people that, that I know that have joined a, you know, multifamily mentorship group. And then afterwards they join a mastermind that is there to take them to another completely level. I, I know people that have a billion dollars or more in, in assets and they're like, they're paying money to have proximity with other people that are, you know, extremely successful and they share their ideas and they get ideas from the other people and, and it helps propel them forward. I mean, it's, um, it doesn't stop. Like you said, no, that's huge. I think that's huge. And, and that's almost, Hey, just <laughs> full disclosure, openness. So we came down here, right. Moved our family down to this, this Tampa Bay area, just South of it. Um, picked really a spot from Toronto and, and our friends from British Columbia. Um, and you know, so we're here and we're living in this place. And, and that is kind of one of my, my mindsets too, is understanding that proximity is power. Right. Um, where do we want to live? You know, what community do we want to live in or where are we going to develop or, or build and, and, you know, just schools and your environment and church and, and everything else. And, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're at right now. And, and we're, so we're, we're renting currently, uh, we just sold our place, you know, renting here. And then, and then that's really our next, you know, kind of chapter is, okay, where are we going to go and buy and develop and, and, uh, and, you know, kind of be in that, that place. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many different stories. I mean, I remember um, last year I was at a, I was playing golf at, at a very exclusive club. And, you know, afterwards we're all having a beer and we're talking and, and we're talking about like summer vacations and where are you going? Where are you going? Oh, well, I'm pretty much going. And one guy's like, well, we're renting this house for like two months, like major, you know, mansion for like two months. And I'm like, that's like foreign to me. Like that's, you know, most people I know are taking like a week vacation, maybe lopping the, the weekends on both sides. And that's how most Americans think. But all of a sudden now I'm in proximity of these people that have figured out a way that they're able to take off two months, you know? And I'm sure there's still some work that happens during that time, but, but you know, good for them. You know, that it's... Uh, there's always something to learn and some, some way to, uh, to grow. Yeah, for sure. So how'd you grow up, man? Are you brothers, sisters, uh, wealthy, not wealthy? I would say we definitely maybe middle-class. So I grew up on a farm. Um, and so on a farm, um, really on a farm. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm really a city kid who grew up in the country uh, and it, um, yeah, family of four. I got an older brother, older sister, myself, and then younger brother. So I'm the third. Um, I always like that vantage, not like I had a choice, but I, I like that vantage because I get to learn from other people's uh, successes and failures and then hopefully not repeat those. Uh, and so it's really a mantra that I've had throughout life and that I, you know, still very much to this day love to love to learn from other people and love to um, avoid pitfalls, right? It's like if somebody was going to walk through a minefield, you want to be 
on the back of somebody else or right behind somebody who knows the path and knows how to get there and knows which minds to avoid. Um, so I, as a third child, I, I had the, the fortune of, of learning from my older siblings, um, who will probably listen to this one as well, but you know, kind of what to do and, and what to not to do. On a farm, like I don't, I've, I've, I don't know many people that grew up on a farm, but I think of people that grew up on a farm, there's a, there's a lot of chores. So I, I would imagine, you know, it, it formed a very strong work ethic. For sure. For sure. You're, uh, when you're so little uh, that you can't walk that much, you actually drive the tractor. Uh, especially, um, <laughs> so, so, uh, and then once you're able to walk a little bit more, maybe your younger siblings or your cousins will drive the tractor and then you'll, you'll walk. And so, yeah, you always have something to do and you don't have a choice, um, about, about the tasks in front of you. And so, uh, grateful for that, uh, that opportunity to work up and really have that strong work ethic. Um, and it's, you just do whatever it takes. Right. Uh, and I think, um, you know, that I'm really trying to instill in my kids too. I have three, three little girls, three, three daughters. And I almost, I wish I, I, I don't want to live on a farm. Um, and and <laughs> opportunity, but I wish I kind of, I want them to have so much responsibility, so many chores, just that value for money, right. Value for, for time that I'm, I'm, unfortunately I don't have a farm for them to have all this work and, and just, you know, you, things you need to do and you, and you got to take care of. And, uh, but yeah, grew up outside of Park Hill, Ontario, uh, Canada and, uh, on a farm. And so just, I don't know, I always had in my, in my heart, in my mind of, uh, of doing something more. And I, it just wasn't there. This town, I think when I grew up was maybe 1100 or 1200 people. And then now is maybe 800 people. <laughs> so, and so it's, um, yeah, just a, a rural, rural community, but great community, great community. Lots of, lots of, uh, aunts and uncles and everything. And my dad who still lives on the farm to this day, but really that just, I think from a young age, I was like, okay, I want to do something different. I want to do something of significance with my life. And, and so I was going to school, you know, in the city instead of in, in the small little town and then going to university and, and, uh, you know, just kind of aspiring for, for different opportunities. And so, yeah, that's, that's really, um, I guess a lot of the background, a lot of the journey uh, behind, but yeah, I love my, love my family and, and miss them greatly. I think that not everybody is like this, but a lot of people that are successful at some age, a lot of times it's early age. Um, it doesn't have to be though. They have this belief in themselves that I'm going to, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to be successful. I'm going to find a way to do something different. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to go outside the norm and that belief, you know, helps drive them and, and give them the determination and the persistence to, you know, take chances. And because look, listeners, if you do not ever take a risk, if you don't take a chance, you know, whether it's getting involved in real estate investing or starting a business or or even if you just stay in the W-2, but you move from one career path to another, those are all risks, right? And if you have this nagging in your gut that you're not in the right place, like you, you've, got to, you've got to take a risk, you know? And, and so some of those people, I think, that had that feeling like you had, you know, early on, it helps 
you know, helps to take that risk because you know that you, you're searching for something different. No, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And I think it is, you know, even not making a decision, right? Staying in the same place is a risk. And uh, companies yeah. are constantly changing, right? That, that adage you talked about early on about um, get a good job, right? And get a good education right. so you can get a good job so you can, you know, provide for your family. Uh, that is, a, I think, a 1970s, 80s, you know, mantra that is really doesn't exist today. And so companies really want you to bring the skill sets for them. Uh, but it's a constantly evolving, changing uh, process that, uh, you know, your, your work for a company, right? I think, what was it in 2000, you know, is is 10 years later, 52% of the Fortune 500 companies were no longer around, you know, so the, the rate of change of today's society is wild. So by staying in the same place, right, by not, like you said, not pursuing those dreams, not pursuing that vision that's in your heart, or maybe it's so buried deep in there, right? You're so afraid to make a choice. And, and so, you know, it's really just being courageous. Courageous is not being afraid of your outcome, but just making a decision in spite of that, right? And sometimes that is a 10 to 20 second decision. Okay, I'm going to do this, right? And then, oh, I'm so afraid, but I'm still going to do this. And so, right. you know, when I was working in, uh, in several corporate jobs before, everything kept changing, right? Your commission structure keeps changing, uh, the, the hierarchy, the board changes. And so that, that brings uh, constant, um, constant uncertainty as well. And so there's a, a significant amount of risk that I think people don't even evaluate with the job. And so that mantra, I think, is, is uh, you know, we're seeing it uh, crumble. <laughs> Absolutely. Like you're, you're a salesperson, right? All of a sudden you're your uh, territory gets cut in half or you're, you know, you're, you were supposed to sell this amount and then next year you're supposed to sell double, like to make the same amount of money. It's like, it, and you have no power, no control over any, any of that. Hey, talk about investors. Okay. So when you first get into this, this game and into this real estate game, you know, there's a subset of investors that trust you and get involved. And then, you know, as you provide solid returns. They happen to tell other people and, and that investor base tends to, to grow over time. So kind of just talk about that evolution with the investor base. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just uh, constant communication and, uh, and keeping up with your investors, right. And just being transparent about everything. Hey, when there's issues, right. If, if how, how would I like to be handled, right. If some, some issue with one of my investments happens, you know, I, I kind of treat people with the same respect that I would want, you know, for myself. And so really, I think it's just being transparent, right? Being a person of integrity, uh, doing, uh, doing what you say, right? Uh, and saying what you do. And, and so really, um, yeah, I think just having that, uh, that, that openness and that honesty, honesty, and it, you know, it's just, uh, your fiduciary responsibility that you hold to your investors as well. Um, and that does, right. And just generally, genuinely caring about people. Um, and so, um, you know, that people tell people and, and people are like, Hey, you got to connect with Brent and he's doing some deals and, and, uh, and it really does kind of, uh, create your, your, uh, your, your, 
kind of investor database and, and it does expand uh, the people that really know you, like you, trust you and want to do business with you, right? Want to invest my you know money that I've been saving and, and working my butt off to earn. And so um, just having that and, and continually rolling it forward. So, uh, you know, I think it's just treating people's money. People say like, like your own money, but I would say even better than your own money, right? Treat people's money um, even more cautiously uh, than maybe how do you treat your own money? And so, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, you brought, you brought up transparency and look, I hear that over and over and over again. And, and I'm in in agreement with you. Like I want to, I think about how I want to be treated as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a passive investor in a lot of deals too. Um, and so I want to have that same philosophy. So talk about, cause it's not always easy, right? So, Talk about a situation where things weren't rosy and you had to be transparent. Yeah, uh, good example. We have a project right now in, in Houston and I'll, I'll not disclose the name, but, um, you know, we just we took over the project and you're kind of like, OK, this is your occupancy and, and these are your your numbers and everything like that. And so, okay, this is our, our, you know, you you kind of understand and you underwrite to that and we're here and we're going to take the property up here. And so I'm, I guess I'm using visuals, but for everybody listening, hey, I'm, I'm taking the property and I'm going to grow it, you know, 30%. Um, and so really it's looking at kind of what is a snapshot in time. Uh, but then as you take over properties, um, what is <laughs> common occurrence it can be common occurrence in the industry is sometimes people uh, stuff the units with tenants that maybe wouldn't have qualified or they wouldn't have been okay with at the beginning of their ownership period. And so um, that is, uh, is unfortunately something that happens in the industry. Uh, so when you take over, maybe you'll have a bunch of tenants that are non-paying or, hey, this uh, your books were accrual instead of cash. And so uh, there's some things that maybe you don't see in that process. Um, and so really it's just like, okay, Hey, this is something that, you know, we, we've, we've owned and we've managed and and the partners on that deal, right. Have done over 18 deals. And so, you know, collectively we've never experienced anything like that, but here's where we're at, you know, here's our current situation that's unfolding and, and, uh, and then this is how we're going to kind of grow back to it. Right. And so just, I guess, stepping up to the plate, um, taking, uh, taking initiative and making sure that, you know, you do right by everybody, do right by your investors, keep them up to date um, all along the way and, and in that process too. So um, that would be, I guess, a good real life situation on something that we deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you told people what was going on and, and so that's what I would want to know as an investor is, look, I want to know the good, the bad and the ugly, but then I also don't want you just to tell me that it's bad I want you to tell me what you're doing about it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, you know, you and the other general partners got on the call and said, Hey, look, man, we, we haven't seen this before, but this is what we think we should do. Mm -hmm. And you come up with a plan and then you communicate that to your investor base because, you know, they're, they're trusting you with their hard earned money. And a lot of people understand there's going to, it's not going to be a straight line up. You know, some people have false expectations and they, they do think it's a straight line up. Um, but a lot of people, they understand there's going to be challenges and hiccups. And, um, but they also want to know that there's somebody that's got the eye on the ball 
and is taking action and, and making, you know, the necessary changes um, to, to make that happen. For sure. For sure. Huge part. Hey, um, you talked about the relationship business before. I think that some people don't really understand how crucial the relationship side of the real estate business is. So maybe just talk a bit about that in terms of, you know, one, you, I mean, you're partners with a lot of people, um, you know, two, you're building relationships with investors and brokers and property management companies, um, you know, and then one piece that's not really talked about as much is like, look, when you do end up having an issue, like you or somebody else on the GP team may not have come in contact with it, but you may have talked to somebody else that is in the business that has, and you can pick up the phone and call that person. And, you know, one little short conversation could all of a sudden help you propel, you know, put together an action plan that if you didn't have that contact, you know, you, you might be tr- a lot of trial and error to get there. Oh man, you, you nailed it so much. And it's almost like if I can just comment in one sidebar and then we'll come back. Um, yeah. When I, and that was almost my fear, right? And I, th- I think I see that quite a bit with a lot of people that are starting out in this space, right? It's almost like, I don't know. I'm afraid. This sounds crazy. I'm not sure how to approach this. And so they they don't get started or whatever else. But when you have an ecosystem, when you have that environment, you got the Darrens, you got people that are really have been there before, right? This isn't their first rodeo. This isn't their first project. This is their fifth, 10th, 15th, 20th, right? Whatever that is. Now you're in an ecosystem of people that have vetted out vendors, right? That have vetted out issues, problems, and this constantly changing world with, you know, debt and equity and, and everything else. Your whole stack is is always unfolding. Um, and so really it's looking at and having those trusted people uh, that you can rely on that have been there before that you can um, bounce ideas off, pick up the call. Hey, Darren, you know, what about this? Have you ever approached this situation? Hey, no, I haven't, but check with uh, check with Juan or, or whatever the situation, right? It's it's right. having the, that ecosystem has been so powerful. And, and, and also uh, for me, it's it's hugely comfortable too, right? So it's not, it's not like I'm doing this on my own, right? It, it's multifamily as a team sport. And, uh, and it's surrounding yourself and being, being around those, those, those great people and great, uh, great people, uh, that you want to do business with. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it on the head, just having that, um, that ecosystem, those people, those, um, mentors around you, uh, that could be your peers, right? It could be, uh, coaches, it could be, you know, your, your people that put the program together or just, um, you know, other people in the industry professions that, uh, that you can have those conversations. And, and so this just goes back to that relationship and building those relationships and, and, um, you never know where, where things go and, and where things lead. And so it's just, I think never burning bridges. Um, and, uh, but yeah, being, being that person. So they take your call and they actually give you the advice rather than, you know, you burn the bridges and then it goes to voicemail and you don't get the call back. Right. So, totally. Hey, totally. What, what's the next uh, big stretch goal for, for Mr. Brent Ritchie? 
Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're going to be growing, uh, growing, teaming up with more people and hiring. So our, our next steps is definitely hiring uh, some more people. And so it'll be scaling, scaling our business, scaling our systems. And uh, right now, as we speak, I'm um, onboarding a new software um, and just really getting, um, getting our systems ready to take on 2022 in, in a big way. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at and definitely looking forward and kind of building that that flywheel of momentum uh, so just putting these steps and these people in, in the right process to uh, to really really uh, launch and, and take things to uh, to a much greater level fantastic what do you like to do outside of work oh <laughs> maybe i'm a fun junkie uh i, I love playing with my kids you know so we did uh water parks and amusement parks and go to the beaches uh sailing i'm a big fan of sailing uh kiteboarding is something that i am uh, i'm attempting oh, to get better oh very cool better at have you done it before uh i got the kite part down uh, but the kite and the board combination is is uh is a challenge so <laughs> i've attempted i think times. it always looks so cool you know, when you go to the beach and you see these guys just cruise and they hit the wave and they jump up in the air 10, 15 feet. And, you yeah. know, I, I, it's something I want to try. I haven't I haven't done it yet. Yeah. And, and hey, you know, I think the motivation for, for me was most of the guys doing it were their mid 40s to mid 60s and in great shape. And so I'm like, OK, that's a, that's a great sport to get into. And um, snowboarding, I'm a huge fan of snowboarding as well. Uh, pretty much a lot of board sports I, I enjoy and, and try to do. Um, golf. Oh. I enjoy playing golf with a bunch of buddies that um, maybe I don't take it too seriously because uh, I think I frustrate <laughs> myself more than anything. But uh, it's a tough game. That. What's that? I said it's a tough game. It is a tough game. I think my next step is uh, is lessons. And hey, you know, I've been doing it for a while, but let's uh, like like we know in this space, hey, be in that environment, surround yourself with people that are much better. Uh, but then the people that can help you get from where you are to where you want to go. Uh, and so very much in my golf game, I think that's what I got to do. <laughs> you, need, you need it a little bit. I need it. Otherwise, I'm going to awesome. be super frustrated. And yeah. Fantastic. Hey, so how does somebody reach out to you? How to get to know you better if they, they want to get to know you better? What's the best awesome, way for yeah. them to do that? Uh, so we got our website, enrichinvestments.com, E-N-R-I-T-C-H investments, plural, dot com. Uh, so you can uh, connect with us there and uh, or you can reach me at Brent, B-R-E-N-T, at enrichinvestments.com. So that's B-R-E-N-T at E-N-R-I-T-C-H investments.com. Uh, we can set up a call and uh, and see uh, see where things go. Um, so that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Uh, and then um, Instagram, I think is becoming a new thing that I, I probably got to get into, but, uh, currently Facebook and, and, uh, LinkedIn are great ways. Fantastic. Well, Brent, I appreciate you coming on, uh, listeners. Look, here's a guy who lives in, I said lived cause he just moved to Florida two weeks ago, but lived in Canada and didn't let that stop him from, you know, moving forward. He didn't have any experience, but he went and found it. He built relationships and, and he's done over 2,600 units. So, you know, don't let that mindset of yours stop you from taking a chance. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Brent, appreciate you coming on. Until next week, signing off. 
Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.